Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners and a few surprise guests. Today we are speaking with Lazarus Chernick. He's been a judge since 2016 with the Illustrators of the Future. Just a bit of his background, Lazarus is an experienced creative director, brand manager, and award-winning designer with over 20 years of experience. His clients have included Fortune 100 giants to small businesses in need of reaching that next level. Using expert skills in all manner of print and online media, he has headed the creative departments for numerous agencies and corporations, including a top 15 national advertising agency, a national retail chain, a national web development firm, a catalog retailer, and a retail goods manufacturer. It's for that reason we're very excited that he's one of our judges because with his experience as a creative director, um, he's able to impart a lot of valuable information to our winners and anybody that happens to listen to this podcast. So welcome, Lazarus. Hi. Thank you very much for having me. Sure. So um, how did you get started, I guess, as an, as an artist that led you in the direction to finally become an art director? Well, that... It's not that as a long story, but you know, as an artist, as a creative person, I had I could expound on a very complicated story. But when I was a teenager, I started off obsessed with video games, wanted to learn how to make them. Um, and this was back in the '80s when there was no such thing as a degree in computer, creating computer games. And I loved computers, and my I had a friend who was uh, uh, his parents were actually math teachers. And he taught me programming. I picked up books on programming, and I started making games back in AppleSoft Basic in the '80s. And I fell in love with creating the graphics for them. I loved how video games were ma made, how they looked, and I tried to figure out, you know, how they ticked. And so I was the artist who was also programming, and I was also obsessed with all the other factors of game mechanics and things. So I decided that early on that I was going to go into the field of, of art and specifically wanted to go and make video games. As a high schooler, I had a couple internships uh, to feel it out. And the first was a graphic design department of a zoo that didn't last long. And the other was joining a, an animation business that did scoreboard, scoreboard animation for sports stadiums around the country. And that was fun. I uh, did that for about two years. And at this point, I'm using Photoshop, I'm using Quark, I'm using all the Adobe programs. And this is 1987, 88. And then I get into Pratt Institute in New York City, and I get into their computer graphics program. And I went there because at the time, it was the leading computer graphics program in the country that was not in California. Um, I applied to California, I did not get in. When I went to Pratt, I knew everything about the computer. I knew how to do programming. I knew how to do animation. I knew all of those things, but I didn't study art enough. And all these people around me were incredible artists. And when they were introduced to the computer for the first time, they went, oh, and they were instantly able to create the most beautiful, amazing works of art, just knowing nothing about the computer as a tool. I got frustrated. And I set it aside and I dedicated myself exclusively to learning the craft of art. So after putting aside the computer for a couple of years, uh, 
I graduated with a portfolio that was traditional. This is 1994. I had a traditional portfolio. I did not have a computer graphics portfolio. Well, I had some. But I had learned that the computer is just a tool. And, you know, anybody could use the tool. It's just, you know, do you know what you're supposed to do with it, not how? Well, the advertising and graphic design business at the time, 1994, were clamoring for people who knew how to use the computer. And I couldn't get a job. I went from place to place, interview after interview, showing my portfolio, and everyone wanted to know, well, do you know Photoshop? Well, I've been using Photoshop for eight years at that point, yes. You know, who doesn't know Photoshop? Well, it turns out the agencies didn't know Photoshop. All they wanted was to hire a teenager to come in who knew Photoshop and do what they were told. Well, that's not what my portfolio showed. Eventually, I uh, found that there was a type of business in New York City uh, called a graphic design temp agency. The temp agencies were filler. So a graphic, uh, an ad agency would have a project. They knew it wasn't going to last for longer than a couple months. And so they would just pick up the phone and hire a bunch of artists to come in, temp, fill in a studio, work on this project until it ended, and then they would get rid of everybody. So there's a low risk for the people, for the uh, business and low risk for the temp agencies. So I signed up with a temp agency and they sent me they sent me to a couple agencies. I have too many stories. I'm not going to go into the stories, John. <laughs> I have some That's amazing fine. stories. I'm that sure you are do. Novel worthy, but I I realized that this is just getting too long. So, so through the temp agency process, I ended up going into ad agencies at a much higher level than I would have if I was hired full time. My peers that I was at school with were getting jobs as junior art directors and as designers at these ad agencies. And I would walk in in my business suit and my briefcase, and I would walk into the art director's office, the senior art director's office, the creator director's office in these agencies. And they would welcome me, shake my hand, sit me down, and they would teach me exactly what they were doing, why they were doing it, so that I could help them create this project. They were usually pet projects uh, using, you know, they were going to pitch for a new brand, a new company. They had something going on behind the scenes they weren't telling anybody else about. Or it, they had to fix a campaign that somebody in, else in the agency broke and they had to fix it before a meeting on Monday. I had to come in all weekend and no one else would do it. And for several months, I was the hitman for agencies across New York City. I was getting called by name for people from creative directors specifically wanting me over everybody else in agencies to come in and help them. And I had that one-on-one -on -one interaction with these people that you know I couldn't pay for. And when I eventually landed my first full-time position several years later, it was as the head of a studio. I ran an entire studio as my first full-time gig. And that was because I had built up this experience that you know juniors couldn't get. And the primary reason why juniors couldn't get it is that the goal of communication design is to understand the business goals 
come up with a creative solution that solves that business goal, and then coordinate with an artist to achieve that. And juniors weren't trusted with business goals. Rarely art directors were trusted with those business goals, it's usually just the creative directors. And if art directors were trusted with it, uh, it was filtered. And over the years, you know, my career blossomed. Um, I went from the head of one, I head of a studio to head of a studio to founding a studio to founding another studio. And eventually I was uh, not only, I was hired by an ad agency to not just, you know, hire and staff, but this agency didn't have any internet advertising department whatsoever. So I had to sit down and write every single manual, every single instruction, all the, I had to teach 400 employees in this company how to do internet advertising, start to finish, and what all the terms meant, what all the specifications were throughout everything. And I learned that my specialty, if back from programming and my experience there, my passion in that was I brought a logic to it that not everybody has. So that is my personal story. Art directors and creative directors and everyone in that in those roles have similar stories. Their goal is to solve uh, solve the customer's problems, solve the business problems. The customer has a need, the business has a way of solving that need, bring them together. Fun note, the word advertise means to add or to promote and create, and vertices, which is connections. That's what advertise means, to promote connections. So everything in marketing, everything in sales is, is advertising. An illustrator and a graphic designer who is specialized in creating artwork may not know how their artwork is perceived by the audience. The younger they are, the less experienced they are, the less opportunities they'll have to learn that. So an art director is their partner to help guide them along the way. You know, why doesn't work of art do X versus Y? The art director's job is to write out the list of everything that is a requirement for how the artwork works. The illustrator's job is to the best of their ability, make it work. Come up with a creative solution to do that. In ad agencies and in graphic design agencies you know, and in studio environments, coming up with a general idea of how something should look is done internally. They'll then hire a contractor or an employee, a graphic designer, illustrator to execute it. In advertising, um, that can actually get pretty sticky because there's a lot of creatives involved. You'll have a creative director who's an artist, an art director who's an artist, maybe a senior art director, maybe a vice president creative director, all involved in the same thing. So the artists can be kind of limited in what they're bringing to the table. In publishing, I don't want to say it's less rigid. I'm going to say that the artist is hired for uh, more flair in what they're able to bring to the table. That the text of a book will describe a character. The illustrator 
will be required to visualize this character using the description as it's written. Sometimes the art director will add on additional notes to that. You know, maybe the author didn't describe something and the art director will have a, uh, an idea of how to do that. The character might have a cloak, but the color isn't described. Uh, maybe the landscape is supposed to be a particular mood that isn't described. And the art director will say, we want it mooded with you know, blues and grays. We want it mooded with purples and greens, or we want it mooded with apocalyptic, toxic yellows and, and browns. And those are, those are going to be additional requirements not written in the text that the illustrator has to work with. The illustrator then does this round after round of pitching to the art director their vision of those notes. The art director's job is to pick through and say, okay, this, you know, these details here contradict what I told you. Then the illustrator goes, oops, I'm sorry, I'll correct it or I'll do a different one. Sometimes they'll, the art director will see something that they didn't write a note on and go, oh, okay, I didn't imagine that, and it looks great. If it's something that they didn't imagine and it doesn't work great, well, then they have to go back internally and they have to discuss it. And then they'll come back to the artist. This goes round after round, and the idea is you start off with very easy rounds of just drawing thumbnails on pieces of paper, to a little bit more finished sketches, a little more finished sketches, and then maybe a color breakdown of these are the overall colors. And at each step of the way, the art director is their partner and approves things and approves things. And the finished product should be a collaboration. This is the way it's supposed to work. The illustrator is responsible for taking what the art director says and working within it. I don't want to say an illustrator can't contradict the art director. That's not true. There are many times, many, many times, in which the illustrator has ideas that might be better and they can pitch them. What I tell illustrators is that you never just pitch your own idea that's better. You have to pitch both. There are exceptions. Good art directors will communicate and evaluate um, how, uh, which is actually better for the project. Remember, they're a team. The art director should not ever be the one telling the illustrator, all right, let me strap on some gloves and get into your brain, and I want you to draw it exactly as I would draw it. I want you to see exactly what I see. I want you to paint exactly as I paint. That's a crap art director. All right that the art director is supposed to hire the illustrator for what they do, what their vision is, and how, what they've done in the past, and then let the illustrator do their absolute damnedest best. And when they do that properly, the illustrator will come up with magic that they never imagined. So you're talking about do's and don'ts. You asked me about that. Do's and don'ts. Do, as an illustrator, understand that your work of art is not, quote-unquote, your vision, unless you have a contract that says it. The final work of art is to sell a product. 
There are times in which your vision will not fit the market. Um, there was a time in which you could not sell a toy to a to a girl in this country unless you used pink in the packaging. You just couldn't do it. Now, I don't mean that girls wouldn't buy it. I mean that the business model wouldn't let you do it. Business models are focused on selling the absolute most product possible. So if you have a product that is intended for 11-year-old girls across the country, and 40% of them will buy it if the pack will look at it if the product is pink. 20% will do if it's purple, 20% if it's blue, 10% if it's green or whatever. The business is going to say, well, we make the most money if it's pink. So we're going to go pink. This is where the art director and the illustrator have to work together. And the illustrator has to understand that the art director is focused on that side of the business. So if you have a good art director, listen to them and understand that they're not just they're not just trying to change things because they don't like you. They're not trying to change things because something is wrong. They're changing it for a plan that they should have explained in advance. As an artist, you as the graphic designer, as the illustrator, are a specialist in a field that the people hire you can't do. If they could do it, they would. I mean, there, that there are businesses out there that that are not skilled, and that someone will just be handed. Oh, by the way, hey, you know, John, I, I know that your job is to just refill the water cooler, but uh, I need you to do this painting right now. Will you, will you whip that out? No, that doesn't happen. But you'll have somebody, you know, have somebody else say, hey, hey, Dave, I know that you're, uh, you know, you're working really hard on this, but could you, uh, you know, could you change the toner? <laughs> You know, anybody can change the toner. Not anybody can do the artwork. So as an artist, you are a specialist. As a specialist, you are being hired to do something that someone else can't do. That is a responsibility. And that responsibility involves making sure that you are working with them to give them what works. If you're afraid of that. If you're afraid of producing something for somebody else under their rules, then just back out of commercial art because that's the business. But if you're not afraid of it, but you're not certain if it's you know everything you want to do, just remember, you can go home at five o'clock and paint whatever you want. You paint on the weekends. Uh, my wife is an illustrator. She's been an advertising illustrator. She's been a publishing illustrator. She's done package design. She has a fine art career. She has uh, published books with her own art. She's done her own clothing lines. I mean, she does amazing work and does absolutely everything because she's interested in doing everything. There's no reason why you can't. Some people absolutely love communication design. They love graphic design, illustrating. That's all they want to do. That's amazing. If you're one of those people, great. You're having a wonderful career. And this brings me to the next point, a career. To have a career, you have to build relationships with people. How do you get in the door? As an illustrator, you have a portfolio of the work that you've done. People look at that artwork and they'll say, yes, 
you can paint really well. You can draw really well. You can come up with great concepts. And then they'll ask you, but can you work as a team? Can you communicate? Well, you'll look at them and say, well, of course I can. But they don't believe you. They don't know. And they have a lot of money riding on the project. So how do they know that you're someone they can trust? When they see your portfolio that you have repeated clients that you've worked for, they know that you have created good work because they can see it. They'll know that you've created work for a paying client. That's great. And then they'll know that paying client called you back. And when they call you back, that is a huge green flag that says, hey, you're, someone thinks you're good enough to work with repeatedly. That's going to be, that, that's going to give us, uh, that gives us a lot of confidence that we can work with you. So building up that reputation can take time. But that's where your career is. That also means that your, your career is dependent on communication and dependent on your relationships. From the art director's point of view, the art director has their own risks and their own issues that you as an illustrator graphic designer should understand, all right? First of all, an art director is both a title and a role. So you are going to be dealing with art directors, the role, but it may not have the same title. And if you talk to someone with that title, it doesn't mean that they necessarily have the experience that they should. Art is used in so many industries that um, I can't say anything globally. Uh, so I can just say generalizations. Uh, here's an example of the industries that have the titles and roles of an art director. Advertising agencies, graphic design firms, publishing, manufacturing, retail, web design firms, software development companies, and entertainment like theater and film. These aren't all of them, but these are you know the big ones. Advertising agencies, graphic design firms are the most dependent because they sell art solutions. Because their entire industry industries are focused on creatives and on artists, they have the most evolved organizational structure uh, defining how to create art properly to produce the best results. Publishing, manufacturing, and retail and web design firms are next on the list. They, as industries, they have art directors and artists but they're pretty limited inside the business. It's not their primary business. So it is handled in one of their departments. Like an advertising agency, everything about the advertising agency is all about creating art. Every single, there's no such thing as a department that has, that doesn't have art in it. But a manufacturer, a publisher will have an art department that's just for that. Now, the size of the company matters. You know, there are huge companies with art departments. Uh, there are huge companies that won't have an art department. What they'll do is they'll have subsections and they'll have a they'll have an artist track career path within that department. Um, 
Manufacturing, we usually have a small, a small artist room. Uh, but manufacturing isn't just, uh, you know, cranking up pots and pans or making rivets and bolts. Manufacturing all, also includes Lancome and Nike. Nike has been called a, a marketing company that happens to buy shoes and resells them because they focus so much on their marketing and on their art. Uh, Lancome is a manufacturer, but they have uh, some of the most uh, iconic and most powerful uh, art departments uh, in the world. Estee Lauder, you know, all the fashion companies. Uh, web design firms, software development firms, and entertainment firms, they should work more like ad agencies and graphic design firms, but they don't. And, and this is not a, a, I'm not going to be insulting those industries. I'm just describing they don't work the same way. And the reason why they don't work the same way is because the companies are not structured, even though they produce mostly art, they're not structured in a way that the artists are primary. In entertainment, the primary artists are the cinematographers, the directors, and the actual entertainers themselves. In software and development, like games development, the entertainment is in what's designed that functions. You know, what is the, how the game actually works and how the programming makes everything works. And the in both cases, art is sort of a gloss thrown on top of them, and so they'll hire an artist. And there are a couple artists, and they'll just sort of say, eh, make it pretty while we do all the fun stuff. They will call entertainment uh, and software design, game design, website, they'll have people that are called art directors, but they don't fulfill the role of an art director for the most part. So I'm going to talk about what the role of an art director is. Actually, everything I, ever, I have already said about an art director does is their role. Right. So when you're dealing with a company who's hired you, you have to understand who it is that you're talking to. That you may get hired by someone, by one person, an art buyer or a vice president or a marketing director. They should put you in touch with your main partner, the art director. Sometimes it'll be their boss, often called a creative director or senior art director. And... But the role, the person who contacts you is the role of the art director, and they're your partner to create the project. They have to answer to a committee almost exclusively. And they will take what you do and they will turn around and they'll present it to people who then have to make decisions. When an art director comes back to you with information, the good art directors will describe to you and tell you when and why your information changed. Because you may have a direction that says everything has to be X. They turn around and say, and you gave them X. They turn around and come back and say, okay, now we want it X plus Y. Well, if your contract, you know, depending on what your contract is, you may just have to do it. But ultimately... Uh, an art director is responsible for making sure that you can do it. And so when they have to talk to you and convince you that X plus Y is the best solution, and here is why. If an art director comes back and just says, you know, sometimes an art director will just come back and say, okay, now just make it Y. If they didn't explain it, 
they didn't justify it, then you're going to be in a difficult, difficult situation. As the contractor, as a specialist, your job is to do what they need to the best possible in the best possible way. That means that there are times in which you will be the most experienced person on the team. If that's the case, then you're and the art director are, as I said, you're a team, you should be working together for the same goal. And that process should improve the project. Okay. Okay, good. So, yeah. So one of the things that comes up from speaking with artists is this concept of artistic integrity. And you've been touching upon or around it, but I just want to be able to also hit that head on. The, you know, where an artist feels like, no, it violates my integrity to do what you're saying. I have to do it my way. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's something for a young artist, but let's talk about that. Artistic integrity is not something we talk about in the commercial world. <laughs> uh, it's not. All right. That, so first of all, the process, here's the job of the company. The job of the company is supposed to work with the art director and say, we need to do X, hand it to the art director, the art department, who says, okay, this is our creative solution. We're going to do Y. We're going to do it this way. And, and then they look and find the artist who can do it the way they want and then hire that artist. If they have, if they make the wrong decision, that's on them. If they hired the wrong artist, that's on them. If they wanted uh, oil painting and they hire a watercolorist, that's on them. It's, you know, they're not going to turn around. You know, you as a watercolorist are, should not be held to that standard. Um, you can tackle it if you want and do the best you can. Artistic integrity is something that just doesn't apply because the point is to solve the problem. Does it solve it? Yes or no. However, as a specialist in what you do, if someone has come to you and hired you over everybody else and written the contract, that is them putting their trust in you saying, I want what you do. I want your input. We are a team. And if you present with, you know, here's your sketch and here's my pitch on exactly why it is and why it should be this way. You know, that should be respected and that should be understood and that should be discussed, not dismissed. There are companies that will dismiss it. They will not treat you as a partner. They will not treat anything you say as, uh, as valuable. You know, they'll go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. They'll take scissors and they'll chop something up and they'll resubmit it and they'll present it to the committee because they have first decided that what you presented isn't good enough, but then they've changed your art. So it's no longer yours. It's no longer what you were doing. Now it's something else. And they didn't cut it up the way you would do it. So when they turn around and give back to you something that is not what you did, they violated that trust that they have not presented you as part of the team they they've basically they have lied to their staff inside who are making the decisions who then come around and make decisions off of something that you never saw that is literally a disassociation of the process 
Now, you have different information than they have information. So in that particular case, you have a, you know, that's not artistic integrity now. That is all about trust. And that is all about the, you are being challenged or prevented from doing the work. You don't have the information, and then what you're doing there, it, it's, it's just a disconnect. How do you deal with that? It depends. What's your relationship with them? Sometimes they're easy. Sometimes they're mistakes. Sometimes somebody gets involved. Uh, one time years ago, uh, my wife was working on a project with an art director. Everything was going great. Back and forth for about two weeks. And she was emailing back and forth them. And all of a sudden, the email started changing in tone. They were written differently. And for about three, four days, the direction was changing. And she called up to find out what was going on, only to find out that the art director she was working with had been fired. And their boss took over their email account and started communicating and telling her what to do pretending to be the guy who was fired, changing everything, extending her deadline, costing her two weeks of deadlines, had to push off other projects. In that case, she'd never worked with that client again. She refused to. She's blackballed them. Um, there are times in which there are simple mistakes. You know, um, There are times in which people go on vacation and leave it to somebody else. There are times in which a new stakeholder appears out of the blue, that the art director and the creative director will have a plan. They'll all be in agreement. They'll present it to the board. It'll be fine. And then the marketing director will walk in halfway through the process and say, oh, by the way, we just made a partnership with this other company, and they focus entirely on this new group of people that we've never discussed before that we now have an opportunity to, so we need to change the art notes. In that case, when you get told that, if you're told that, you can't get upset because you understand your job is not to just do what's on the paper. Your job is to provide them with artwork that will work. If their business specifications have changed, well then, what you need to provide them has changed. That's why we don't talk about artistic integrity because it's not about what you want to do. It's about what actually works. That's great. I think that's really important for people to understand that, especially – the younger artists with not, without the experience that if they're going to make it, they need to, you know, what you said at the beginning of this interview, you know, you've got your relationships and you need to be able to prove yourself that you're trustworthy, that some of that, you know, you can work together as a team member. And that's, I, I see that as being a lot more important than I did before starting this inter interview. The, my favorite, uh, not a quote, because it's, it's mine, my favorite uh, statement that uh, I, I repeat everywhere is that if you as an artist, contract artist, are given your assignment and you create art for that assignment, whatever it is, and it works, you'll get paid. If you solve their problems as they're doing it, if you're there for them when they have conflicts and you're able to help them work their way through it and create something that works in spite of their difficulties, they'll pick up the phone, they'll call you again. 
that's what you want. They, they understand they're not flawless. You know, they're going to have difficulties. Business is messy. There are going to be problems along the way. I mean, I, in publishing, you can have a, a book cover that is almost done. And then all of a sudden that someone signed a contract somewhere and suddenly the book cover you're working on is no longer going to be on the top shelf. It now needs to be remarketed somehow as being a second tier product. So now they need to change the colors just because they don't want to stand out. The publishing company is going to be producing 3 million. They were going to be producing 3 million of the books that you're working on. But now they signed a contract and they decide they're going to be printing only 100,000 copies of that book and 3 million copies of this other book. So in order to make sure they sell more of the other book, that one needs to stand out more. So then now we're going to take your illustration and they're going to ask you to dim it down a little. It's frustrating, but that's the business situation. And if you work with them on it and you, you make them happy, uh, you know they will call you again. And that's how you make careers. Yes, solving their problems. That's great. That that helps a whole lot. Now, you've been a, a judge for Illustrated the Future since 2016. What about it as a judge for the Illustrated the Future contest do you find important? Why well, is it important to me as a person? Yeah. I'm a communicator. I love communication design. As you can tell, I talk all the time, nonstop <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I love, but I'm a problem solver. I love computer programming. I love creating artwork that says something. I love telling stories. I'm trying to be a writer. Uh, I love just figuring things out and making things work. And I love helping people. I love, you know, I love the idea of someone have needing something and someone else having something and getting them to meet together and for person A to solve person B's problem. I love that. And being an art director, I do that all the time. You know, I, I have my, my client or my, my boss, and then I have my, you know, coming up with a project on to solve it, getting the right artist, get together, having all knit together. And Illustrators of the Future is a beautiful synthesis of what I already do. And I get to help people who are just starting out learn how to do it, how to, how to do better. Uh, I love finding talent. I love being surprised. I love meeting people um, and helping them get to the next level in their career and figure out what it is they want to do. And I love teaching, uh, lecturing them, telling them. I don't mean you know, lecture. I don't like saying, I am right on everything. No, I'm not. I'm not right on absolutely everything. But I've seen more ways of doing it wrong that I should be listened to. I love being able to share this information with people and see them experience it and have them go through and love the emails coming back going, hey, Laz, you know, uh, I was a winner a year and a half ago and I've got this contract. This person has called me up. What do I do? I don't remember what we talked about in class and I'll email them back and forth. You know, this is how to negotiate. This is how it works and had some really amazing success stories that way. Uh, I just love working with people in their careers. You know, I don't get anything out of it, you know, monetarily. Um, it's just fun. That's great. And I mean, it's just, it's an amazing what, what's happened to consciousness since you and Echo have come on board just on your, on your 
amazing amount of energy that you put into it and it's just the way it's grown. So that's just, I, I just can't thank you enough for that. It's just, it's so, so positive and so great for the contest, which you guys have provided. Well, thank you, and Galaxy Press and everybody at Author Services so much for giving you know the opportunity to to artists for this because it's it's so difficult. Um, you know, Echo and I had, had um, you know we had struggles, and we had uh, when we were young, we didn't know about this, but the idea that there are people who are genuinely concerned about trying to help people and get their career started is know is is amazing yeah and that's something that was really important as you know mr hubbard is one that who endows the contest and and has kept it going now for 37 years and as of october 1st we started year number 38 um but i'm just curious any particular um essays on art or any aspect of his his art writings that you found to be especially applicable what i found most impressive about mr hubbard was in reading about him was that as a writer, right, he put himself in a position to know other writers and to develop a community of other writers around him. You know, he became friends with all these other great writers, but he also brought other people together. He became friends with artists and illustrators and he listened to them and he talked to them and he studied them. And when you See the photographs of, of him and Frank Frazetta, you know, you know, sit, uh, talking, and you see all the book covers that uh, these gods of the industry have, you know, have done for him. And uh, uh, you know that as a writer and as a communicator, he synthesized to the best of his ability what it meant to create a commercial work of art for publishing. And I think that he was dead on in what he was saying. I have to paraphrase for a modern audience because he's from a different generation. But uh, I can unequivocally say that when I was reading what he was write, it resonated all with what my professional experience already was. And it made uh, a great amount of sense. That's great. Um, yeah, that's great. It's interesting, too, because one of the... Illust one of the uh, essays in the Writers of the Future workshop, which you were one of the first people to take, is uh, his uh, essay, Art More About. And that one gets commented on more, more than any other essay in the writing workshop, just because it's, you know, what he's saying about art and how you have to relate your writing as a work of art. It's something they didn't, they didn't think of at all. It's just, it really is. Um, it's great how he does that and, and provides this means for the aspiring artist and writer across the boards. One thing I've noticed that's uh, very interesting to me is that writers come from a, a huge set of backgrounds. Um, they come from all walks of life and the track to becoming an art, uh, a writer is along the lines of being a fine artist. They're finding their vision, they're honing their craft and takes a long time to develop that. The people who enter the contest are much younger. The people who enter the illustration contest are much younger than those who enter the writing contest, and they have a much stronger foundation uh, for what they're doing. They've dedicated themselves earlier. And it's fascinating when they come in, sit down, and we're talking to them. 
I can throw out almost all the information that I was going to tell them about how to make a great work of art because they already know. And when they, you know, when they're introduced to sentences and statements that Mr. Hubbard wrote to the writers about being an artist, all the artists just kind of nod and go, yeah, 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 we've known this. Now, Elrond Hubbard wrote that decades and decades ago. I'm not saying he started, I'm saying he synthesized something that is, you know, absolutely dead on, perfect. And it's great to see that a synthesis of how it's all working together. Yeah. Uh, the writers ha are, are learning how to work with artists uh, at the workshops. I think we were trying to plan and even having a, a, a workshop. I was working with David uh, or talking to David about maybe even having a workshop where uh, um, we could talk to them, but I don't know if they have time. <laughs> talk to the writers about that. Yeah, maybe we'll just see. We'll just, I mean, it's going to be an interesting uh, 2021 with two years worth of winners. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be yeah. definitely interesting. But no, when, we've, when the contest first started for the Illustrators of the Future, I mean, some of the, the major names in illustration at the time, Ed Cartier, uh, Vince DeFate, Diane Leal Dillon, Bob Eggleton, Will Eisner, Frank Fazetta, Frank Kelly Fries, um, Shun Kojima, Jack Kirby, Paul Lair, and um, Mobius. Um, Alex Schomburg, H.R. Van Dongen, mm -hmm. William Warren, those were all the, the first judges for the contest. And it really was yeah. a, a I mean, If you time. drop those names to, to, to anyone who understands the commercial art field, that those were, those were his friends. Those were, yeah. they, they knew what they were talking about. And there's not a single name there that someone goes, who? Yeah. I mean, you show them the art, they might go, huh? You show them the art, they go, oh, oh, yeah, that. You know, it's yeah. not, that's legend like yeah those legends were part of or the origins of this contest that's right so it's something that again yours and and echo's contribution to getting people to enter the contest we just uh finished year 37 and once again the entries were highest ever for both the illustrator and the writer contests as we've you know we're now over 175 countries with uh entries coming in and it's just and now also we have, because there's such a volume of, of entries, there's more finalists and semi-finalists and honorable mentions, which can be used now, definitely is used by the writers, to have uh, um, editors and creative directors to look at them because this contest is strictly by merit alone. There is no, I'm the f boss's daughter, or I'm related to some other famous artist, so you got to take me. It's just strictly, they won because they're good. Yeah. And the, yes, it's, I've been a part of other contests. I've submitted other contests. I have friends who are, who win. I have friends who judge other contests. I talk to them. Uh, what can I say about this contest that, um, it's free. You win something. You know, you're not just being recognized. You win something. Um, you win something. You're not just being recognized. You win something. You win money. Okay. You win a project. Ooh, you get, you get, you're going to be published. You you win meeting these incredible people, and you get to re meet Larry Elmore, Bob Eggleton, um, all these. You know, Echo, Echo and Lazarus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I slipped in under the radar. Um, <laughs> you, and you get some valuable information. Uh, and then you also are thrown into a peer group 
of past winners who are amazing. I mean, that uh, uh, Bruce Bernice, uh he won a, a, about two years ago. And he's now up for a Chesley. And is it Chesley or one of those? Um, he's, you know, his career has taken off. One of the sweetest, dearest people you ever want to meet. He's on the con circuit. He talks. He talks to people. Um, he's friendly. Uh, anyone can talk to him. He has his own community of people that he knows. And there are so many else out there like him. And when you go to you know, see Bruce or somebody, I don't want to say holding court, but you know, when people go, oh, yeah, we love Bruce. Oh, yeah, we love Larry. When you go up and say hi and they'll recognize you as being another winner, there is another level of, uh, of relationship there. You know, they understand what it's like, yeah, and that they're and they're supportive of you because they know what it took and they know how it, you know, what it means. Yes, that's great. So, you know, it's just I just really want to acknowledge you for what you and Echo have done to um, raise the bar with this with this competition with uh, Echo's art direction to the winners. Uh, it's just right at the level up of what you're seeing in the books now, and they're published to a whole new level. You teaching the workshop is. Um, really gotten a lot more succinct and focused on some of the key points that they'll need to have a successful career as an artist. So, again, I'm going to thank you very much. Oh, no problem. <laughs> thank you for the opportunity, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, before we wrap up this uh, uh, interview, anything else that you'd like to say that I didn't ask you? We've, we've been pretty thorough in what we've covered, but just anything else that you wanted to uh, make mention of? Well, for people who are interested in, in the Illustrators of the Future contest or people who are interested in illustration period, there is some critical information about your portfolio and your submissions that you should be aware of. Art directors and judges are looking for stories. Anyone can do a portrait. Anyone can, you know, I don't want to say anyone can do a landscape. Not everyone can do landscapes, but the stories are what matter. It's what is somebody doing or not just what the character is, but how is the character feeling? Um, what are the different elements surrounding them that makes that character or that scene unique, different? It can be in the line quality. It can be in the color. It can be in the composition. It can be in the choice of character, the choice of models. It's not going to be in whether you're in oil paint oil painter or a uh, watercolors. It's not going to be whether you're a digital artist or a sculptor. That doesn't matter. The storytelling is what is the most important. So when you're going through your portfolio and deciding what to submit or what to show an art director, you want to show your best ability to tell a story. And depending on who you're talking to, they're going to be interested in something different. So customize your portfolio to whomever you show it to. And if you're going to show your portfolio to the judges that illustrate the future, whether I see it or not, you know, you're going to want to show something that is unique, something that is different, something that is exciting. Uh, I don't want to say something no one has ever seen before because that's kind of impossible. But you're going to want to show something that says, you're going to want to show something that says, I can do it because we're looking for, I am when I'm an art, I'm an art director. I'm looking to see 
can I imagine this style being used to sell a product or a service or a story? And the more generic it is, the less the more uh, the less likely I'm going to select, it, no matter how well painted or executed it is. Um, you walk through fine art galleries across this country, across the world, you'll see some of the most beautifully executed portraits of nudes and just incredible detail and color and realistic. And it's just somebody lying on a sofa. That's not a story. Tell me a story. That's great. And it's also, just make sure anybody listening to this also realizes too, it's not a certain style of art. Like we've, this past year, which is the first time I've had this, we had an artist um, from Vietnam who's a very different style of art that is, is very predominant in, in his piece. We have one from um, Iran, and that's a total different uh, art style. That was amazing. Totally. That was amazing work. And someone else from Turkey. So we've got art styles from all over the world. It's not like it's got to be a certain style or certain look that you're used to seeing when you go to a museum. It's, it's not that at all. So it's, we're, we're open to anybody. Also, Oh, and also, even though the book is all sci-fi fantasy, that, that's a huge realm. Uh, I, I, my background is advertising and commercial stuff uh, and in and, and magazines and catalogs. I look at saying something like those beautiful Turkish, those beautiful Iranian-inspired traditional pieces and exquisite. And I went, that's a magazine ad. That's a magazine editorial. That is something that goes on a TED Talk. That is That can be animated for the History Channel. That can be something as a package design used on, uh, on, on perfumes or on all sorts of products. So it's not just that, you know, is your art going to fit on a book cover? It's, is your art telling a story and can it be sell something? Um, so submit it. That's great. That's great. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Writers of the Future podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Ditcher, Player FM, iHeart, and Spotify. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elrond Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Lazarus. It's been great talking with you. Thank you, John. Bye, everybody.